your son Jesus Christ and every gift that comes down from you, oh Lord, we thank you that through these gifts, through these tithes, through these offerings, Lord, we participate in the advance of your kingdom for your glory and honor and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, and as you are seated, uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, and today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 12 and verses 10 through 20. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles on this table in the back. Please pick one up, uh, bring it with you, follow along as we go. And if you need a Bible, you're welcome to keep a Bible. Um, and last week we started our second phase through going through Genesis and looking at the life of Abraham. And last week was victory and faithfulness. And in this time we see some, the challenge, the challenge which comes after uh, this visit that he has with God. So uh, Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. This is God's word. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is God's word. May he had his blessing to the reading of it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this text today, Father, we know that you speak in your text. Your, your text is a word to us. Father, it's a word to us wherever we are. And so, Father, we could be at various places here. Father, we could be in just feeling shame and guilt and wanting words of encouragement and strength. We could know just the difficulties of life and, and loss right now. Father, we need to have hope in the future. Father, we may be straying ourselves and going in directions we shouldn't. Father, we need your correction. Father, your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to penetrate soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And Father, as we meditate on this, as we go over these words, Father, would you use your word to do what it so powerfully does in our lives in shaping us to make us like Christ. So, Father, we ask you for your help in this, praying in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, in looking at the life of Abraham, what we want to look at is the crash that happens after the spiritual high. Maybe you've had that kind of excitement inside of your life. Uh, maybe the time that you were inspired, and you were inspired that you were going to go do something, and then you went out to go do it, and it was just difficult afterwards. 
Maybe something happened where you were at church and you said, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to start living this new way. Or, or maybe you went to some big retreat or conference and you said, I'm going to be a missionary or I'm going to be a pastor. Or maybe at this beginning of the year you became convicted that you were going to read the Bible and that you were going to pray. Maybe during times of difficulty, somebody has spoken into your life and you said, now I'm going to live in sexual purity. I've had too much frustration and now I'm going to do what's right and what's good. You've known, maybe somebody challenged you to tithe and the benefits of that and you said, you know what, this is important for me. Or, or you went to a wedding marriage conference and you said, you know what, I need to date my wife. I need to stop being so hard on my kids. Finally, that experience has come and that's going to change the way that you live. Or maybe you just recently became a Christian. And you said, you know what? Now that I know the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, now that I believed in him and joined the church, I, now that I'm rededicating my life to God, things are going to be different. And then things get hard. You start to feel sick. You start to feel ill. Your spouse, who you want to go on those dates with, is something critical to you. Your kids who you didn't want to yell at suddenly act up. You feel lonely. Maybe you get a bill that you didn't expect. Maybe you wanted to do that evangelistic work or do missions and your parents pour water over it. You know, whatever it is, that enthusiasm that you had, that, that, that movement that you had is gone and you think, well, you know what, maybe I could just adjust things a little bit and just temper my expectations with it. Before you know it, that, that commitment is washed out. And you wonder um, how you got where you were. Because you look around and you say, well, where am I? I had all these hopes and all these promises, and now I don't even know where I am. I wonder if Abraham felt that as we get to Genesis 12, 1 through 20, especially by the end of it. If you look back, and, or you remember maybe last week, you look back at Genesis 12, 1 through 9, you remember the victory that was on that day. God commands him to go to a new land. And God gives him a wonderful promise. And Abraham obeys the command. He obeys the command and he leaves his homeland and he goes into a new land. And immediately upon arriving there, he looks around and God speaks to him again for the second time. And saying, Abraham, all that you see around you, that's yours. And Abraham, in faithfulness, what does he do? But he erects an altar to go and to worship his God. By the time we end uh, chapter 12 and verse 9, he's exploring this land that God has promised to him. You know, what was his promised land for his descendants. And, and in all this, God has made a promise to him. Right? You're going to be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to make your name great. And it's connected with your descendants. It's connected with your land. Just look around you, Abraham. And he, and he starts off so well, worshiping, exploring, trusting. And then we come to verse 10, right? We can almost think, what could go wrong at this point? Then we get to verse 10. And what do we read in verse 10? Now there was a famine in the land. This land that God had promised him, the land he was exploring, which was sustaining him, his wife, um, and his servants and his flocks, there's not enough food to provide for his family. A big trial right after he begins to follow God. 
It's not a big surprise. We will often face difficulties when uh, we endeavor to follow after God. The world, the flesh, the devil, all these things are, are, are not helpers for us in that. And so we're going to have a resistance and opposition around us and in us from doing what God wants us to do. We're not going to expect that, that following Christ is always going to lead to blue skies and, and roses and puppy dogs. Now, when we follow Jesus, we do believe that it leads to greater love. We do believe it leads to greater joy through all of life. We do believe it leads to a greater sense of purpose. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be, it doesn't mean it's not also going to include a degree of trials along the way. All right, so Abram, he's faced with this trial right after following God. And what does he do? What does verse 10 tell us? He went down to Egypt to sojourn there. I mean, it makes sense, right? There's not enough food where he is. And so go down into Egypt and go partake of that. In fact, his descendants later would do the same exact thing. But I want you to notice something here. God has told Abram to go to this promised land, but God doesn't command him to go down to Egypt. That wasn't where the promise was. We also notice we don't have a record of Abram praying about this decision. And what I think it does is it shows a beginning point of Abram making decisions without seeking God. He's trusted God to make it this far, but now that there's this particular trial, he's going to solve things on his own. Your life is going to lead us to places of great testing. It's going to test our faith. For Abraham, would he believe that this promised land was his and it was his, that God was going to give it to him? For us, we really believe that following after Christ leads to abundant life. Do we believe that it leads to eternal life? And as we face our trials, as we face our temptations, are those promises great enough to, to walk us through those? What would Abraham do in this face of trials? He moved down to Egypt. And I think this was the first of a few decisions he makes, which really puts his whole mission at risk. It's the time when he let his fear grow bigger than his faith. His fear grew bigger than the, than the promises of God. And so we see this faltering. We see a misstep in the story. And maybe you can think about times where you've let fear affect your life. Maybe you had a desire that you wanted it fulfilled. You had a problem that you needed to solve. There's a lot of fear in it. Maybe you made a bad financial decision as a result. Maybe you were afraid of something you entered in some sexual sin. Maybe you said something that you shouldn't have. Maybe you started an argument. Maybe you pulled your family away from, from church. Maybe you took an ill-advised job changed. Getting involved with drug or alcohol, maybe. You think, with all these promises in this new life, I should be past those things, but, but you go back into one of them. That uncertain future led you into things that you, you shouldn't have done. And you didn't pray about it. You didn't pray about it to begin with. You don't know why you didn't, or maybe you do know why you didn't. And sometimes when we pray about it, it's... You know, we're opening ourselves up to God changing us. And sometimes, you know what, I know what I want to do, and I know why I want to do it. And so we just don't even pray about it. 
There's a set of events we see in Abraham's life. And, and in that, it's a, it's a bit of a cautionary tale to us. We, we know other cautionary tales. King Midas, Icarus, flew too close to the sun. But we know in the Bible, Sam, David, and Bathsheba. Today's story of Abraham is a story of a man who was following the great promises of God and then making, making a series of bad and, and sinful choices. And if we know our Bible well, one thing that we know is that he's not the last one to make a decision like that. You know, we know that uh, right at the height of receiving God's promises and even turning on them, new trials will come. Some of the biggest trials that we face will come when we're trying our hardest to make the biggest changes. And how we handle them will make a big difference. Do we respond in faith or fear? One thing that this account reminds us of is the grace of God. The wonderful grace of God. Wonderful deliverance. Even in our worst mistakes. God preserves us. It's also a reminder that God uses sinful, fearful, faltering people. As we draw to him by faith. He's not looking for that moral perfection, but he's looking to us to trust in my faith. Right, so there's four words that we want to see here, just kind of working through the account of what happens in Abram's life. You can see that in the bulletin if you want to follow along. Four words to start with C, which describe what we see here, just kind of the downward progression here, and then one word that lifts us all up. So we've got five words total. They all start with C, and so you can follow along with that if you want in your program. All right, so the first thing we see is compromise. Compromise, we in verses 11 through 13. First thing we've already seen is he leaves Canaan without praying about it. The second thing, you know, he's fearful of this famine. What's the second thing he's fearful of? He's fearful for his safety in Egypt. This is one of the reasons I believe that he was wrong to leave Canaan to begin with. Decisions of fear tend to build on each other, right? You know, that, that we get afraid of one thing and it leads to fear in other things. And, and a life of fear can perpetuate itself. And you might know that through a series of bad decisions that you might make. You create, make one decision, and you're afraid of the consequence of that. You're afraid of that, afraid of the consequence of that. And we can, you know, add decision on decision, which leads us into a problem. All right, so Abram's afraid. He's afraid for his life, so he concocts a plan. And you can see that in verses 11 through 13. And his plan is going to put his wife at great risk. You can see it starting in verse 11. When he's about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Right? She's 65 years old here. So there is something wonderful about her, something wonderful, which is, um, which is probably miraculous at this point. It's, you know, that she is a draw to um, the leaders of this land who, who, would, who would bring her in to their own household. She, um, it goes on to say in verse 11, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, that is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. So he's fearful for his own life. And so his option, solution, verse 13, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Right? So he's going to say his sister, or his wife is his sister. Now, this is actually a half-truth. It's also a half-lie. She was his half-sister. They shared uh, the same father. They had different mothers. But, but he wa- she was genuinely his wife. And in, in doing this, he does it to protect himself. 
Now the plan I, falls under this idea of fatriarchy, uh, fratriarchy, which is the idea where the brother is in charge. So when a father is deceased and a woman is there who is still single, the, parent, the brother can take up um, parental authority like that. And so he believes that through his role as brother in this relationship that he can protect her. They would have to work through Abram if they wanted her romantically. Now, the fact that he had to lie to begin with shows that there's a big problem, right? We're reminded that, that the moral laws of God are not just moral imperatives, but there's also a natural consequence to the things that we say or do. The laws of God, have nat- they're, they're natural laws which aid and help human prospering. And so when we lie, so when a person lies to accomplish what they think to be a greater purpose, you know, there is a consequence to that. They might feel it right away like Abram does. It might show up later, you know, but lying doesn't help. Lies come to light. They always come to light. It might come to light in the final judgment of God, but they will come to light. Not only does he lie, but he's willing to put his wife at risk to keep himself safe. It's, you know, we live in a world today that believes that our private decisions don't affect others. We see in a decision like this that our decisions do affect others. They affect the other people around us deeply. And some people, for the sake of our own comfort, put the security of their families at risk. That shouldn't be. People think they can make more money. They think they can have a bigger house. They think they can have more fulfillment if they just follow their dreams. But those cross-country moves, the extra hours, the passing education off to others, the skipping church for vacation time, the time alone with people that we shouldn't be with, the self-indulgent lifestyle, I mean, those things can put a family at risk, certainly spiritually. And often when things go bad, who's the ones that suffer the most? Often it's children who suffer the most since they're dependent. Here we see Abram is putting himself first. And we're reminded of God's, um, that God doesn't like that. You know, who is it that God judges so severely? Those, those who sacrifice others for their own comfort. You know, Abram's in a very dangerous spot here as he puts his wife in danger to protect himself. Maybe you are too. Maybe you're compromising. Maybe you think that the compromise, the little compromise that you make with your faith will make you safer. That'll get you the dream that you want. That'll move you in the, in the, in the direction that you're really looking forward to. Well, it's a, it's a compromise that displeases God. And that's what we begin. And it's also dangerous. That's what we begin to see as we look at the next verses. Starting in verses 14 through 16 where we see confusion. Confusion, that's our second C. And that's because things get out of control for Abram. Look down at verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. That's something he expected to happen, right? That's what he expected. Everything's good. Things are under control in verse 14. And then the, when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, right? If she's that exceptionally beautiful, you might expect that to happen. Then what happens in verse 15 and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now, I don't know that that was expected. You know, Abram was working under the, the typical idea of uh, fratriarchy. Again, if anybody in the land was interested in her, that they would have to work through him. But what if Pharaoh wants her? 
What if Pharaoh wants to bring her into his house? He doesn't have authority over him. He doesn't have control over his decisions. You know, Pharaoh is the ruler of the land. And Abram has no control. You see, it brings confusion into the situation. Something happens which he didn't expect. It's really a reminder to us that we might be able to choose our actions, what we do in, in, inside of our lives, what we want to do in response to you know, getting the things we want or, or going after God or those things, but we're, we can't control the consequences of our choices. Abram thinks he's under control until suddenly he isn't. Maybe you've experienced that. As much as we like to think we can keep ourselves out of difficulty, that we just can't. People sin all the time thinking that they can create the best future for themselves until they realize all those things that are outside of their control. The single person thinks that unless they compromise a little bit, that they'll never get married. And so they compromise, only to realize that they've created a whole nother uncertainty for their, themselves in that decision. A person thinks by um, skipping church attendance that they'll give more opportunities for their kids. And so they skip church so they can take kids to other events. And then they're surprised when, when children don't have the vision for God in their lives. Recently, we've been reading Pilgrim's Progress. And as we read Pilgrim's Progress, there's a story where Christian is making a decision as he goes on his journey to the celestial city. And he's making a decision, which way do we go? And he sees this, the difficult uh, path of the king that he's on. And he sees just a small little diversion over here, which is, goes in the same direction. If I just go off the path a little bit and go this direction, I'll end up in the same place, but it'll be easier on my feet because it's all um, grassy on the field. Well, that path eventually twists and turns off into, into Doubting Castle. And it turns up that Doubting Castle is controlled by giant despair. Right? And just these little simple decisions of saying, you know what? I'll compromise a little bit. I'll go off the path here a little bit. It leads him into depression. It leads him into discouragement. It leads him into doubt. And he's controlled until he comes back to that word of God. See, the easy way out can create vast confusion inside of our lives. Now, one of the troubling things about this, if you jump down to verse 16, is that Abram seems to get rewarded for this, at least immediately. You look at verse 16, it seems that he amasses all kinds of wealth. For her sake, it says, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, etc. You know, can you just imagine the, the, uh, receiving these things at the sacrifice of a wife? He doesn't know he's going to get his wife back. Here she is in a harem outside of his home outside of his comfort, outside of his care. He's just given up this woman um, in order to, outside of his control, but to be taken into Pharaoh's household, and then he receives something in return. You know, can you just imagine the guilt that Abram might be feeling at this point? But it's also an important reminder for us that the immediate fruitfulness of a decision may not be the best measurement of its wisdom. Right, just because something comes back to us immediately as a result of a decision doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. If it's sinful and it arrives in and it results in a material blessing, it doesn't mean that it's right before God. It doesn't mean that it's not going to have its own consequence in the future. It doesn't mean that God's not going to judge it in, the, in, 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 in that final judgment. 
I mean, you might get that relationship by compromising. But the stain of sexual sin will create hurt and distrust that you have to live with. You may have a lot of money to retire with, but what compromise in the cost to your family and to your own soul? You may have children with worldly success, but did it come at the cost of their relationship with God? We're always thinking about the end. We're thinking about the end. Where is it we're going, the decisions we're making? So we see he makes a compromise, which leads to confusion, and that leads to a third point, and that's the consequence, the consequence it has on Pharaoh's life. We see that in verse 17. Again, another decision Abram makes which affects the lives of others. Pharaoh and his whole household get sick with a plague. Maybe it's some sexual disease. Uh, maybe it's just some plague that hurts the land. But we do know one thing, that God is sovereign over the event. God is sovereign over what's happening here. We like to think that God is not sovereign, that these, these things just happen, that they're, that they're coincidences. Not if there is a living God. We know that these things aren't just consequences. This challenge comes up. And Pharaoh even recognizes that. And he looks for where the, where the source of the problem is, and he comes back to, Pharaoh, he comes back to Abram. Right? Again, Abram's decisions are affecting others. And our decisions, our sinful decisions, do affect others. And sometimes we want to compromise, thinking maybe we'll get away with it, maybe it'll just affect us, it's just a little white thing that, that's not going to become a problem, but you cannot possibly know who's going to be affected by the decisions that you make. You know, did Abram think this would cause a plague in the very land that he was in? Did he think that it would make him more vulnerable, that it would risk the lives of those around him? We just don't know. Might affect not only others around us, might affect ourselves in the future. They affect our decisions we are limited to in the future. And Abram, strangely, is probably more vulnerable. He thought he could control it, but he ends up just being in a more vulnerable spot than he was to begin with. Right? What is Pharaoh going to do to him? Is he going to kill him? How will he punish him? Will he imprison him? Right? We, have, we may have control over our decisions, but we don't have control over our consequences. Pharaoh's suffering, and so what does he do? He corrects. He comes and he corrects Abram for his evil decision. That's our fourth C that we see here, correction. We see that in verses 18 through 20. And I get a picture that Pharaoh is angry. Look at what he says in verse 18. Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Everything has been put to risk. Pharaoh's life. Pharaoh's power, Pharaoh's nation. And so he confronts Abram. Now, it's a, it's, um, it's a strange confrontation because of this, that you have an unbeliever confronting a believer about his sin. He confronts him right in his life. Do you see that? I mean, isn't Abram the follower of the true God? Hasn't Abram gotten wonderful promises from God? Doesn't Abram have some sense of the moral law of God? Isn't Abram going to be a blessing to the nations instead of the bringer of plagues? Abram is an evangelist for the truth. He's an evangelist for the goodness of God. And what has he brought to Egypt? It's a shameful confrontation that's here. And here you have Pharaoh in the place of moral superiority. 
mean, this is Pharaoh, the one who takes anyone he wants into his own harem. You know, Pharaoh, who, whose office later would hold all of the Israelite slaves and, and, and be extremely harsh on them. You have, you have Pharaoh who has no connection with the living God, who is of the dispersed people from the Tower of Babel. You have Pharaoh correcting Abram. And you have Abram in this morally weak position. He's really undermined his own witness of God. Now, you know that happens, right? I mean, I hate it when that happens. You know, there are times that I have been corrected in my behavior by unbelievers. I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. And shouldn't I be more moral in the way that I live? But there are times where I'm corrected. I mean, there is enough common grace inside of the world that this will happen occasionally. It will happen. You know, we know of our own nature, apart from the grace of God working in our lives, that there's still sin there. We still sin. It shouldn't happen. We don't want it to happen. Part of our moral, um, part of our, our witness is our moral character. We also recognize that we can do a lot to undermine our witness by certain behaviors. We don't want that. We want to show forth Christ. Our neighbors see the hypocrisy. Our spouse, our kids, they see that. We, we say we love Jesus, but we live differently. It, it undermines that witness. That's grace. What do we do? We, we humble ourselves. We confess our sin. We take God's grace. We receive it and we move on, endeavoring to do better in the future, but being honest. Now, what does Pharaoh do here? He confronts him, and then he sends him out of Egypt. Into verse 19, now then, he says, here is your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, like really, you know, the bouncers, they're bouncing him right out of the country, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Where did he go? Went back to Canaan. There's mercy in this, as well as judgment. I imagine Pharaoh could have killed him, but he didn't. I... I don't get a sense he took all the stuff back either. But he sent Abram back into the famine. I get a picture of him just returning back to Canaan with his tail between his legs. Now as we see that correction, what we also want to see, and I don't want to miss this, is the compassion that's in it. That was our fifth point. Because the correction of Pharaoh inside of Abram's life is part of the compassion of God. You see, Abram had left his promised land. He'd stopped trusting in, in God as his provider. I mean, he is way off of where his promise is. His promise is in Canaan, and he is way out in Egypt. And if he keeps going, what's going to happen to those promises? And so what God does is, is he sends this pagan pharaoh to put Abram back on the right path. It's a reminder of God's compassion and grace and discipline. If you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 11, Hebrews chapter 12, we see this wonderful picture of God's correction of us for our good. Hebrews 12, starting verse 5, it says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? What does it mean your children? Right? What does it mean your children? It says, my son, do not regard lightly 
the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He disciplines, he corrects, he steers back in the paths of righteousness, back in the paths of purpose and of love and of grace and of joy. He's steering through this discipline because he loves his people. Verse 7 goes on to say, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there without whom a father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which you have, we have all participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful and rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. You know, think about it. Abram could have stayed a long time in the land of Egypt. He could have gotten comfortable. Maybe he would have lost his wife, but, you know, he would have had all this wealth. Maybe he could find a new woman for himself anyway. He could have continued in that lie, but God didn't let him. That's because God wouldn't compromise his own glory. God wouldn't compromise his own plan. God wouldn't compromise his own promises for the future. And he wouldn't compromise Abraham's place in that either. He corrects him for his own good. He uses a plague to move Pharaoh and Pharaoh to move Abraham. And to show that he has a bigger plan of redemption that comes in correction. He's correcting, he's steering Abram to the truth to the truth first, and then back to the land second. First, to restore them. This is your wife that you gave up here. You lied. And then back to the land and where his promise was. It's a good reminder for us of what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, that God will not let his people be tempted beyond what they can bear. But it provides a way out so they can stand up under it. Here you have Abram just compromise after compromise, you know, going off the cliff, and God restores him in his disciplining grace. Might be a harsh correction, but he needs to get him back on track. That's God's love for Abraham. And that's the same way God loves us. Now, I can relate with Abraham here. I remember when I first became a Christian, you know, God did a wonderful work in my life. Maybe you can relate with some of this. God did a wonderful work for my life. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, you know, but I uh, remember learning about Christ in college, and I remember some things were changed so fast, just immediately in becoming a Christian. But there were other things that, that, that didn't change. And so as I'd have fears, if I had worries, as God was still uh, working inside of my life and my heart, there, there, there are things that I looked elsewhere and said, oh, well, you know, I got this problem. Maybe I'll go over there and solve it. Let me in one sin. You know, oh, well, this over there, let me in another sin. I mean, I know I had painful times of correction from God and painful times of correction from others. But, but my joy is that God never gave up on me. God never gave up on me. He doesn't give up on his people. Philippians 1.6 says that the work he's begun, he will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And maybe you know that same preserving grace. In fact, let me say this, is you all do know that preserving grace. 
Because apart from that work of his Holy Spirit directing and guiding you back, we'd all go astray. We'd all go to Canaan or to, e- to Egypt. We'd all have our lives full of lives. We'd all be wandering away from God for this thing or the other rather than pursuing after him. The only way that we're corrected, um, the, the only way we stay on this is because of God's work of grace in our lives. And so we can thank him for his corrections. We can thank him for our weaknesses, which don't allow us to go do anything we want. We can thank him for the restrictions in our life if they keep us near to God. You know, anything that brings us back to God, we can give him thanks for. I mean, the the most fearful place to be is the unconstrained life, the unconstrained life where I can do anything I want without any regard to God or the consequences of my own actions. I mean, that's the scary life. Because though we may gain the world, we'd lose our soul in the end. Thank God for his correcting grace. Can you say that? Can you say, thank God for his correcting grace inside of my life? You know, I want to bring this back to Jesus. Bring back to Jesus because we look at the life of Abraham, it points to something about Christ. Because we're reminded that God has promises. God has promises for his people. You know, there's a promise of eternal life to all who believe. There is a promise of abundant life, of growing love and joy in God. It, just like God gave wonderful promises to Abram, he gives wonderful promises to you. And you may, in the same way Abram did, you may have gone astray. Maybe you walked away from those promises. Maybe you've known, wow, I had all these things and I've traded it in for something else. And maybe you face a trial now. Maybe there's a trial that you're facing. Maybe, you know, some decisions that you've made which have led you to some difficulties. We're reminded what the gospel of Jesus Christ does in restoring us to what we are created for. Restores us back to God. Restores us back to his purposes. Restores us back to his love. Restores us back to the joy that he offers us in God. But that goes through Jesus Christ. That's because when faced with his mission, with faced with his promises, Abraham might have gone astray, but Jesus Christ, with his promises, he didn't. He endured the temptations that were before him, and he walked with the Lord. And in that, securing for us the promises of God. He gained them. He gained them for us. We don't gain the promises of God for ourselves. He gained them for us, and we receive him by faith. And as we receive Christ by faith, we find the life that he promised us. Right? We find it in him. And so when we fail, when we sin, we're reminded of Christ taking those sins to the cross, paying for them in his own death upon the cross and his resurrection from the dead is the security of God's promises for us. You see, you know, Jesus Christ is God's compassion for you. To show you there is a way back to him. There is a way of restoration. There's a way of growth. There's a way to know him. And what you need when you hear that word of correction, whether it's in your conscience, whether it's the work of the Holy Spirit, was the work of a brother or sister in Christ speaking the word of God to you. What do we do? We go to Jesus. We ask him for his forgiveness. We ask him to restore us. Ask him to help us do us right. And in his grace, that's what he does. Let's go to him. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, you still use sinful, fearful, faltering people to accomplish your purposes And we rejoice in that because that's what we are. We know our sins and our fears and our faltering steps. 
Father, you don't want to leave us that way. You want us to grow through those. And so, Father, you lovingly correct us. You lovingly steer us so that, Father, that we can come back to you. That's what we pray. You'd help us come back to you. Father, thank you for your grace which corrects and disciplines. Father, we praise you for Jesus Christ, the one who took your mission by faith, the one who endured through trials and temptations, Father, the one who atoned for our own sins. And so, Father, as we go, and we go out from here, Father, just with, with a desire to love and to follow you this week, we ask that you'd give us courage.